Welcome back to another episode of Timber Connect. We're here to help forest enthusiasts explore their curiosities among like-minded people. People who embrace innovation, strive to make a difference, and aspire to continuously improve how we manage our forests. My name is Ty, and in each episode, Julie and I will be diving into research, contentious forestry issues, and industry perspectives from the professionals you want to hear from. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Timber Connect podcast. We're your hosts, Ty and Julie. As you know, audio quality for our episodes with Timber Connect is a top priority. With the remote nature of our work, we are at times limited by internet quality, which can impact our sound quality. However, this conversation with Crystal Smith was too good to pass up. So even though there may be some blips in the audio, we hope you're able to get as much from this conversation as we did. Crystal is the elected chief counselor of the Heisla Nation, where the majority of their roughly 1,700 people are located in the Kitimat village in northwestern BC. Crystal has long been a champion for environmentally sound natural gas development in the Heisla territory, as she and her fellow council members believe that sustainable economic development is the pathway for bringing their people necessary self-sufficiency. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Crystal. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so before we dive into some of the incredible work that you and Heisla Nation have been a part of, could you help our audience understand who you are a bit better, maybe by providing just a, a, a bit of a background about how you got to where you are today? Oh, so my name is Crystal Smith. I am the elected chief counselor of the Heisla Nation. I am serving my fifth year um, as the elected chief counselor in my second term. I have been elected since 2013. Uh, but prior to being elected, I was actually uh, the executive assistant uh, to our first female chief counselor, Dolores Pollard, and then uh, later served as Ellis Ross's executive assistant. My decision to to go from the support staff to to a part of Ellis's team was I I actually he he allowed me to attend one of his speaking engagements uh, at the Vancouver Convention Center, and listening to him speak so passionately about what his vision was for for our members and that independence and and not mad us not managing poverty anymore in the community um truly inspired me to be to want to wanna be a part of his team um as one of the decision makers as one of the uh team members that can that that could help progress uh, and push that vision forward. Um, so he he was a huge and still is a huge in, inspiration uh, for, for myself. Um, also, my my stepfather was an elected member many many years ago. So essentially, I I, I somewhat followed his his foot footprints in in regards to my education, um, and ultimately where I've um, ended up. That's so beautiful. What what does what does a day look like as the elected chief counselor? Like what what does that even entail? I'm sure you are very busy. <laughs> uh, one uh, two days are never the same. <laughs> I can't say that much. I mean, I, and and it comes from all aspects, right? So so the work that that we're doing um, internally as the nation as our organization um, can can vary from file to file, whether we're looking at our membership code, whether we're looking at our at our uh, trust work that we're doing for our own source revenue that we're that we're taking in um, to speaking about our community school and, and the, the plan set in place for for improvement. 
Um, it, it, it's, it, there's one aspect. Um, yesterday, I was with I, I was fortunate enough to be with LNG Canada as they welcomed uh, Minister Bruce Ralston uh, to our to our territory to give him uh, a tour of the work that has been completed to date on site. Um, and today, I'm I'm talking with you, fine people. <laughs> Uh, and then I'll have a few <laughs> few different calls just here and there of introductions. Uh, I also met with one of our joint venture partners yesterday where he was giving me a bit of a, a glimpse of, of what their visions are and, and what they're striving for. Um, so it, it mm -hmm. widely, widely varies and, and <laughs> it, it's exciting. I mean, I, the experience that I've gained um, over the last five, five and a bit years is, is, is something that I don't think I could have gotten elsewhere. Uh, it's not just professional growth. But I think it's a lot of uh, personal growth for myself as well. So that's wonderful. You can't really ask more for personal and professional growth. That's so. One thing I wanted to ask you about because we you just mentioned it here, working with the LNG companies is. Would you be able to speak a little bit more in your experience working with them? I know there was and maybe is still some pushback in the beginning when you guys first started talks. But I was hoping you could speak to how this benefits your people and what sort of steps have you guys taken to make sure it is environmentally sound? Because I know that's usually people's number one concern. Oh, most definitely. And it's a huge concern of ours. And I think mm -hmm. I, I think for the most part, I, and I I don't think one overshadows the other um, in regards to environmental impacts uh, and, and our impact on our people. Um, however, we're not new to industrial development. Uh, for those that are familiar and those that aren't familiar with our our territory. We've had aluminum smelters, we've had uh, paper mills, we've had a, a methanol plant uh, in, in and operating in our territory. And those um, industries were built at a time where we had no we had no seat at the table. We had no share, we had no say in how they developed, how they built, and, and the impacts that they had in our community. Uh, so our, our previous leadership, and I I, I've often used the term a share and say. Uh, that comes from our previous chief counselor, Heber Maitland, uh, who, who had that vision. That's, that's all we want is a share and a say in our own community, mm -hmm. in our own economy. We want our people to be employed. We want a, a say in how things are developed, how things are built, oh. and, and a share of, of that opportunity, the wealth generated. And our, our chief counselors, not only our chief counselors, but our full council, our administration, and our people have strived for that. And our, our first share and the say um, was actually with the Rio Tinto Modernization Project, wow, where we had our impact benefit agreement, uh, where they modernized their smelter here. We've been within the LNG industry for, for many, many years. We own a, um, a reserve on the west side of the Douglas Channel, which we refer to as Fish. And that was where the post um, Chevron, the Matt LNG project was proposed for. Right. Mm. However, mm -hmm. when our, our council and our leadership at the time were, were going through that process, it was actually uh, for an import facility, not an export facility. Um, but our people voted to uh, designate that land as industrial development land, strategic lands, uh, 20 plus years ago. Uh, so we've, our, our community has been, has been introduced and into this LNG sector for, for many years. Uh, fast forward to 
to those many, many proponents that have, that have uh, come to our territory. And that actually occurred when I was the executive assistant uh, to, to our, our previous council members. And sitting here in this very room, uh, listening to numerous amount of updates, numerous amount of uh, negotiation uh, strategy sessions, uh, and just not realizing at the time where those discussions were, were going to go and, and where we were going to find ourselves five, five, ten years later. Um, it, it has been quite, quite the experience and quite the responsibility uh, to, to be a part of, to be witnessing. Um, like I stated, I was their support staff when all of this started. So, you know, I, I got to listen, but with no, essentially no weight on my shoulders. I, I got mm-hmm. what they were doing and, and was in absolute awe of how our council at the time took it upon themselves to, to really learn and understand uh, what, this, what this sector would do in, to our environment and to our, to our community. Um, I, I remember sitting in, in discussions uh, where there, the, the concept of water-cooled versus uh, air-cooled systems and e-drives versus gas-driven and, and had no clue back then about you know, the magnitude of those decisions in, in our territory. Um, so we've been able to essentially, because of all the impacts that, that had occurred from previous industry, uh, we have taken that experience and that knowledge and have been able to solidify them in impact benefit agreements where, where we won't be left with a site like, uh, year mm-hmm. we, we, we will do our best to reclaim areas that, that have been impacted to, to the best mm-hmm. of the abilities and then allow nature to, to, to take over whatever's being left behind. Um, so we've got a, a very very good staff. We're very, um, we're very fortunate enough to have, uh, the team in the backing, uh, Candace, Candace Wilson, who's our environment manager. She's Isla Mishka. She's, she's one of our own. Um, Tracy Ross is, is our, uh, lands manager again, uh, Isla and, and one of our own. Um, Mike Jacobs is our fisheries, fisheries manager and his ability to, to have that total impact and, and the, the thought process of preserving our resources um, at the table has has always been, you know, like I said, we're very fortunate to have have a team and support staff um, that help guide and and essentially educate decision makers as to how to progress through those those discussions and essentially the environmental assessment processes. So. There, there's one portion of, of what we've been able to we've been able to do uh, in regards to the environmental impacts. Now, the reason why I I fully support and actively participate in in economic development is because of the impact that it has directly on people. The amount of impact that I've been able to witness over the over the last I'd say five seven years has been phenomenal. Prior to any type of opportunities that were provided directly in our territory, we didn't have too many members, uh, too many members able to go and gain a mortgage. Um, and, and as small 
or minor that as that is to any other Canadian citizen, it's huge to our people. For for far too long, our members have always relied on our on our councils and our our band offices to provide things such as housing. And our members are are able to go and obtain a, a mortgage on their own. Uh, we we essentially. Um, sign some documents here that help support those mortgages through. And that over the last three, four years, we've had to increase and actually start looking at other banks uh, to provide that opportunity so that our membership have more of an option like when going out and, and looking for a mortgage. Our, our members are traveling. Our members are in school. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually have the most amount of people um, that our nation has ever seen going through and accessing post-secondary. Uh, Amazing. Because wow. we're able to, we're able to provide uh, and, and remove barriers that have, have always been existing. Uh, we're able to make it a, a lot easier and a lot accessible uh, for our members to, to be successful and, and essentially not put policies that restrict their, their desire to be whatever they want to be. Um, and the most important piece that I, that I find the most inspirational, um, is our language revitalization. Um, so I, I have a, an identical twin sister. <laughs> yeah. Her name's, her name's Liana. Uh, and she, uh, works at, at our, our community school as, as a language and culture teacher. And we grew up with my, with my grandparents, uh, I often tell the story that my grandmother would be talking on the phone or talking with one of her friends in, in our home and they would speak our language so that we didn't know what they were, what they would talk about. Oh. <laughs> I came into work one day and I was uh, checking my emails at my desk and I, I get this voice audio message from, from my twin and immediately picked up, picked up my phone to listen to it. And, and in that audio message, she was doing nothing but speaking her language. Oh, wow. And it immediately made me think about my grandmother. And yeah. I, I stopped learning the language in grade seven. So, so quite a few years ago. And mm-hmm. hearing my twin speak brought memories back to our, of our grandmother and gave me hope that our language is going is to live. My grandsons mm-hmm. have the opportunity, will have the opportunity to learn more than I did. And, and that is huge. I, when Ellen to Canada announced their final investment decision, I, in, in my speech, I had said it, it's time that we regain our identity as, as Isaac people. And we're doing that. It, it's coming to fruition. It's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of, it, it, it's taxing on, on some of our staff. Uh, but we're doing it. That is truly incredible. That is so humbling and honestly almost getting me a little emotional just hearing that. So beautiful. <laughs> when I was doing some research on you, I was reading an article. And one thing that I found really powerful and that really stuck out to me was you said that um, my two daughters, if, if they want to go into a trade or be a carpenter or an electrician, they can do that now. And I just thought that was such a powerful statement to make and, and really just speaks to the progress and just how good of work that Heisel has been doing. And that's exactly why we wanted to talk to you because it's 
you don't hear this story every day. Yeah. And what your nation has done is, is just incredible. Um, since the development and over the time in, in your career with, um, at the elected chief counselor, have you noticed a shift in your people's perception of, of resource? Like, was there, is it, I know that 90% vote that you had not too long ago. So is it majority of people do support these projects now that they see like the benefit and that the improvement of their quality of life? Again, I would I would almost say that uh, it, it would be similar uh, in, in regards to the support moving forward. Uh, we we do and, and we try our best to, to have a lot of engagement sessions where we're having discussions and, and try. And I, and I often take for granted that I've, I've been sitting at this table since 2009. Uh, so so a lot of the I guess the corporate history and, and discussions that, that I was honored to be a part of are essentially all in, in my mind and my head and being able to speak to our membership, to, to kind of piece all the pieces of the puzzles together for them and have uh, direct conversations as to where we've come from, to where we are. Um, of, of course there's, there's struggles along the way. Nothing's, nothing's ever perfect. Um, but I would say for the most part that, that there, that there is still that, that strong support, um, for, for the, the development and, and what we're able to do with the revenues being generated from the development. Um, of course there, um, again, what, again, in 2009, you know, social media wasn't as, um, a, as a prevalent, I'd almost say distraction, uh, as it is today. Uh, so. You know, just over the, I'd say the last three years of the construction of Postal Gaslight and, and seeing some of the, the issues that are arising, um, in, in a different section, uh, than, than has a territory has definitely, um, brought its challenges, uh, directly into, into our membership. And again, it's, it's that willingness for us to have honest, frank open discussions with, with our members over any of the issues that, that they may see because of this development. Right. And how do you deal with, because I'm sure, as you said, majority of your people do support it. And I know with what's going on in other areas, there's a lot of people who aren't a part of these nations who are coming and being activists on behalf, whether asked or not. And I'm just curious how you try to deal with those sorts of um actions on behalf of your nation when perhaps you didn't ask for them in the first place uh, this this is always an interesting fun topic to talk about um i think i think for them if, if you've done some some background uh then I've, I've always been our nation has always been one that will will step up for for what we believe is is right and because we mm -hmm. see the impacts we feel the impacts um we get out to the forefront. I've got a great support staff here of communicate the communications team um, that that enable uh, the work that we've done uh, to, to always be in the forefront, um, putting out op heads that that invite people that necessarily won't have the full understanding of exactly what is going on. Not necessarily that I'm going to talk about other nations' issues. Um, 
but I invite them to our community to see the progress that we've, we've had in our community. You know, we, we've built a, a $7 million youth center recently. It's the first time in Pisley history that our youth will have their own space. Uh, Amazing. Where we're going to provide programming. Um, whatever they see fit, we're, we're going to work our hardest to, to be able to provide and support that. We've just built a, a new health center where, you know, dentists can come in and provide that expert care with them the latest state-of-the-art equipment. We have telehealth being able to be provided from that same space. Infrastructure being built in our community means more programs and services. So we're attaining the, the goal of providing and improving the quality of lives of our people. That's not often told when it comes and, and your people necessarily don't make the connection when they're talking about economic development, industrial development, and then tying mm-hmm. it back to the people. But that's what we've been able to do. And I invite anybody that has um, any, any issues and, and want, just want to learn because, and it's, it's not mm-hmm. essentially, you're not picking sides. I, I would love to have discussions with people that necessarily don't support. And, and I would want to know why they don't support it. And they can learn from, from us as to why we support these types of developments. Um, I've always maintained that whatever is happening in other nations is is essentially theirs to resolve. And I would say on on that part that I've I've witnessed that dissension in our community, and I would not wish that type of conflict in any First Nations community because we're, the majority of our our communities are very small. We're very um, we're very rooted in, in family. Um, and those types of issues divide families. And, and it's not a good environment to, I, I grew up in, in a time where our community was like that. I, I was raising children mm-hmm. at, a, at another time that it was, that it was like that. And, and essentially that is our, our families, they stop talking to one another and, and that's not good for that's not good for anybody. So I mm-hmm. the the sensationalism that's provided around it by actors such as Mark Ruffalo or Leonardo DiCaprio or people that essentially don't mm-hmm. understand the root issues just provide more divide in in, in those communities. And yeah, it's I feel for them. Mm. Yeah, another powerful thing that I stumbled upon well well doing some research on you, you were mentioning um, the protests in early 90s for forestry activity that was happening. And you had said the protesters came in and, you know, rah, rah, had their signs out, environmental protectionism. And then as soon as the contract was signed, they were just gone. They didn't actually, they weren't truly there to to support your people and, and try and learn and understand what's actually going on on this territory. They just wanted to kind of be a part of this trend that was occurring and it's you know that really upset me to hear that how someone would would do that and not actually want to learn from the people who live there and experience that and who are having the impact of that development every day so i I just think that's a really powerful statement to make on the terms of forestry i know that that heisler is really involved in big energy are you involved in forestry at all is there any activity that occurs on your territory with that or there there is activity um we, we are involved in, in forestry 
our our teams are actually working through some some of that. Um, I, I'm I'm not directly in, involved in that file. They have I'm, I'm fortunate to have three other full time counselors that that work and, and assist on certain files. Um, we're working through some some of the issues that are that that pertain to agreements and and practices uh, in our in our territory, uh, and and looking to improve um, ways of of having that still occur. And yeah, being being creative, uh, as I said, uh, with those with those negotiations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that's really important too. Is what I think is coming with all these new and much needed partnerships between the indigenous peoples living on this land and where we're doing forestry is that creative collaboration because forestry has been status quo for so long, just doing the same thing over and over. So having the input of people who have lived in that land forever, that is so important, I think. And I'm really excited to see how that's going to go moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see because now you're hearing about this, the, the, the climate initiatives of nature-based solutions and, and all of that taking taking impact on and and really adjusting the way that we essentially think i mean with with all this new development it's it's no slight of the, the forestry file but where we saw you know the jobs being generated year-round jobs and opportunities was within a different sector so it's not that we we don't have a an interest in in forestry. It's just that mm-hmm. other things kind of evolve that would give our, give our people more more opportunity. Mm-hmm. I also sit on the First Nations Climate Initiative, um, where we're talking about nature-based mm-hmm. solutions, and and one of the the projects that um, Candice, who I, I referred to earlier, has has taken upon is is um, the restoration of um, a, a parcel of land where old forestry practices essentially hugely oh. impacted that area of our territory where they came in and, and essentially are revitalizing and ensuring that they're, they're taking care of the, the old practices and restoration area. It's so great. The, um, one of the things I value so much from my experience of getting to work with Indigenous nations in forestry is that it's a far more holistic ecosystem-based approach where they look at the whole picture and there's, there's so much more consideration than typically just going in, cutting the woods, you know, as cheap as we can get it, getting out. I was born and raised in Williams Lake, BC, and I'm so proud to see the Williams Lake First Nation pioneering efforts in carbon sequestration and just really leading that way. And like, we, we can just learn so much if we partner together, like if, if we really were at the table together, learning from one another, I mean, just the knowledge that they could pass on is just absolutely invaluable, um, in my opinion. And to reach out to my friend, Willie and Willie. Yeah. Willie Sellers. Yeah. I have a discussion with him. <laughs> he has done some amazing work. They were actually featured on a, um, FPAC, which is forestry products association of Canada. They did a whole documentary on them and. It gave me goosebumps watching it because that's my hometown. That's where I was born and raised. And um, I'm just so proud to see these people stepping into the light and showing like, look, we, we have all this knowledge. We have the resources available to manage us appropriately. And now they're getting the title rights and the opportunity to control the resources on their territory. And it just makes me really proud to be a part of 
the generation that where this is beginning to occur. And I'm just so grateful for that opportunity to see this. And it, and I think it speaks volumes in regards to that old that that old thought process that First Nations aren't open to economic development that that we're that we're not willing to have economies within our territory. We are we are truly wanting and and desiring opportunity for our people, but it comes as a balance. You know, we have so many. And I actually was with Candice a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, touring a site with with one of our other partners and you know she was she was talking about how it, it, so we, we went to visit a site where there was fish weirs centuries old and she talked about you know she has a science mind so so she was putting it into context of how brilliant our people were you know many years ago without without and and that was just our knowledge of, of taking care of our of our lands and our resources and and how they were they were true scientists that they and and that she as as she learned more that she was just in awe of the brilliance you that knowledge is still handed down and has been handed down for many generations and and one of the things that LNG Canada did uh, with with our community was take that traditional and cultural knowledge and, and use it as a part of our, our uh, discussions when it came to any type of permit applications that went before any of the, the entities that, that, that needed the, the support through the EA. It, it's amazing to see. And, and that's all First Nations mm-hmm. want is, is, a, is, a, is a say so to protect yeah. our resources and to ensure that our cultural ties to our labs can still exist while balancing that economic prosperity for everyone. So along that line, I want to ask you a question. If you could forget any sort of red tape, any thing that's holding people back, where would you like to see collaboration between Indigenous peoples and natural resources companies go in the future? <laughs> uh, I think Cedar LNG. Uh, a discussion yesterday sitting here in this boardroom and, you know, we're majority owners. Mm-hmm. Wow. We've, we've definitely come come a very long way in, in regards to our participation within within the economy in our territory. Um, I think in in regards to moving forward in any type of conversations, it is and again, it's just, I think as as our nation uh, blazes the way in in regards to any progression of ours, it it doesn't come mm-hmm. easy. I, I've I have so many sleepless nights in, in, in thinking about the possibilities or the lack of possibilities. But this is, this is what Heber wanted. This is what Heber Maitland wanted, as Sharon is saying. I, I truly believe that the, the Cedar LNG project is, is where any nation would, would want to be and, and is striving to be for. Be, Mm-hmm. How great to to have someone that inspired you so greatly. How great it must feel to full circle and basically be one that's really championing his vision coming to life. Because it is right in front of our eyes right now. That vision of a prosperous future for the highest of the people is real. It's tangible. It exists. And that's 
that's just so cool to see that come full circle for you. And you've clearly worked so hard and done such amazing work. It's, it's so great to, to hear and see. You know, I, 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 when I did the uh, speech for the final investment decision and um, there was so many cameras and so many people and, and, you know, I'm going to be on that, that, that footage is living forever. And I was so nervous that I had messaged somebody to kind of try to calm me down. And, and the, the text that I got back was allow your people to speak through. Mm. And it's, it's people like Seaver Maitland. It's, it's, it's people like Gerald Amos, Rob Robinson, Dolores Pollard, Ellis Ross, and many, many council members that sat around this table. You know, I, I use Heber's vision, but there are so many people that, that blazed this way, Steve Wilson, that, that blazed this, this path for us. And, you know, it, it is definitely uh, inspiring. It, it provides me a, a, a lot of desire to continue doing what, what I do um, on behalf of our people. It's 1,900 members that, that I'm, on elect, I'm, I'm elected on behalf of, and I see the impacts, and I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like in 20, 30 years from, from my children. Exactly. Right? You're, you're planting seeds for future harvest, and the generations after generations are just going to grow and thrive in this environment that you and your past chief elected counselors have created. So that's, that's just so great to hear. I've I love it. Just quickly, what is the state of the LNG project as of current? How far are we to being done or where are we at with that? It is amazing. I was actually on site yesterday. Um, so that they asked me to, to be on site when one of the modules came in um, off the ships and they were going to move it to, to where the, the final place of setting was going to be. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to see it move because there, was, there were some uh, technical issues that they weren't willing to risk this, the safety of, of people on site. But they invited me back yesterday uh, with Minister Bruce Ralston, who was in our, in our territory. And it is absolutely amazing. I, I honestly, like all the work that, like I stated, that, that we had completed, all the, the interviews that I'm, like, I'm doing right now is things are coming to fruition. Hmm. And they're mm -hmm. about 60, in between 60 and 70% completed, both on LNG Canada and, and fossil gasing. Um, so now the modules are coming in and, and they're, they're building, uh, building vertically. It's absolutely amazing to see and, and hearing their team describe to me about, uh, you know, measurements of, of they only have millimeters, um, to be able to place modules on. And it, you know, I, I asked them Kenny yesterday, how do you sleep? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely amazing to see that being on site, seeing all yeah. the important that, that that project's providing. It's mm -hmm. it's truly inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Must be so exciting to have it so close <laughs> to being finished. And do you know what it looks like in the end when they finish? Like, do they stay around, or like, what does it look like for you and your people? So they'll be operating that they'll be operating um, the, the facilities and stuff. Um, what does that look like for our people? Um, mm -hmm. Internally, we're doing a lot of work uh, with our education and capacity departments. Um, that department actually grew from one employee to about 
I want to say 15 employees uh, to, wow. to ensure that our people had support from, from the beginning of accessing and, and getting their approval letter um, right through to the employment opportunities and, and placing them with either our joint ventures or with LD Canada. Uh, we actually just in, in our update yesterday when I was with LD Canada, we actually, and I'm so proud of him. He's, he's one of my nephews. Um, he was a previous elected member and had been with us, I believe, for I think he was in his second term. He was just about completed his second term. So I think he was on council for about six, seven years. Um, wow. So Raymond, Raymond actually put in his uh, letter of resignation to us in June and is now a financial analyst with, with LMD Canada. And and he had, wow. he had gone back to school. Um, he was his first or second year with us on council um, to obtain his education um, that he saw the opportunities and you know it, it it's amazing to see our people obtaining careers and that one definitely um, hit close to home like I said he's my nephew it was definitely mm -hmm. a hard thing to, to accept the resignation but definitely told him that I am so so proud of, of the work that he's done for himself to, to be successful. So this, this is the podcast. So you can't see Crystal's face, but as she spoke about her nephew, she is beaming with pride <laughs> and it's, you could just read it right from her smile. So it's, that's so lovely to hear. We do have just one last uh, question for you. And it is kind of a staple here that we ask our guests at Timber Connect. Um, you know, as someone who has likely worked with a lot of youth and has seen a lot of people come and go through the workforce, what would you say is, is one of the most common mistakes being made by young new workers? And do you have any advice on how they could avoid making that mistake? Well, like I said, right now we've got a lot, a lot of opportunity in, in our territory and, and essentially, you know, that, that pay and, that, and I've got one of my twin sister's youngest daughter, actually. Um, is she, she's a year out of high school. Um, she's, she's still kind of throwing ideas around as to what her vision is, as to what she wants to do for a career. She gets to make two choices if she, if she wants to, to do two different, obtain, uh, go to school for two different programs. So I was talking to her mom the other day. She wants to, she wants to find a job on site until she can kind of work through, um, making those big, big decisions. Mm. Um, so I talked to my sister uh, and, and, and just told her, like, we, we both need to kind of talk to her and tell her that the money's great right now. And, and McKenna, she's a brilliant, brilliant girl. She can do whatever she sets her mind to. And we just need to, to keep in the back of her head that she, she definitely needs to obtain education and not to get lost with, with the, the, the opportunity to make a lot of money right now and to, to look for what is going to be um, sustainable in the future. So if you're going to, you know, looking at something that will provide a long career as opposed to, as opposed to a job. Uh, so while the money may be great in the short term, vision for the long term would be my advice. I think that's such such a great response. <clears throat> it took me a long time to find a career, as you said. Like I had a lot of jobs growing up, and 
tested things out, but just as, as you mentioned, I went to school and got post-secondary and that is when I really began a career, something that, you know, I wake up every day and I don't dread going to the office or wherever I'm going because I'm passionate about what I do and I look forward to going mm -hmm. to work to, to build my career and, and keep doing that. So I think that's great advice. I still got to figure out what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Lots of got time. three more years. Yeah. <laughs> well, Crystal, thank you. It's been such an honor to have you share your stories of you and your people and uh, hear about some of the amazing new progress that's going on. It's been so great speaking with you today. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Timber Connect. If you'd like to hear more, you can search for us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Timber Connect or visit our website at timberconnect.ca. That's all for this episode. We'll catch you again next time.